Elizabeth, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of It's the Wine Talking, your weekly dose of wit, wine, and occasional wisdom. My beverage co-host for this week's podcast is a Montepulciano from the Abruzzo region of Italy, purchased from our local supermarket in Tokyo with the best darn wine selection I've seen in a while. So that's probably not saying much since I've been living in Asia for the last six months. It's a 2014 organic wine, not that I'd know the difference, produced by Brico Al Soleil. Whenever I find a Montepulciano on the shelves, I tend to snatch it up. We learned during a trip to Napa a few years back that this grape brings great value for your buck because of its unfortunate history that can basically be summarized as, people are grapists. Before I get into this story, you should probably know that I haven't been able to confirm it online, but why should that stop me? As this possibly inaccurate story goes, Montepulciano grapes were once considered by the Italians to be garbage grapes. Unlike other varietals grown in this region, these grapes weren't used to make high-end wine that was sold at high prices, but instead to make cheap wine that poor local populations, including the grape harvesters themselves, would drink. Since vineyards didn't care about impressing anyone with their Montepulcianos, they put minimal effort towards creating a bad, watered-down wine that they could sell cheaply by the jug. Or at least, I imagine this wine came in jugs. Like the house wine at Macaroni Grill. And so the fate of Montepulciano seemed sealed, until a winemaker decided to experiment with this grape of ill repute. Apparently she, or he perhaps, but this is my made-up story, was successful, and other vineyards started following her lead. The problem for these producers was, and still is to some extent, that news of this grape sorted past got around, and people remained skeptical of whether it could turn a new leaf. And while Montepulciano isn't new to American or Japanese shelves, its retail cost still reflects a hesitancy to price it in line with other bottles of similar quality. So, if you see a bottle at the store and haven't tried it before, it's definitely worth spending 7 to $10 to give it a go. This bottle was around $8 U.S. and is a bit sweeter than the Montepulcianos that I'm used to. Something that's always a bit of a bummer for me when it comes to wine. I liked this brand's bottle of Primitivo, so I was hopeful that the Montepulciano would impress. But after all that buildup and my elaborate storytelling, it's just kind of meh, and not quite as earthy as I would expect from an old world wine. But given how much I've been drinking with friends while visiting Japan, it would not be the worst thing in the world to cut back on wine. Or would it? Now, let's move on to this week's topic. Reasons I'm not a dog person. Since arriving in Japan, we've run into a lot more pet dogs, as opposed to strays, out on the town for a walk or a ride in their special dog stroller. Space being at a premium in this country, most of these dogs are tiny and adorable, especially the ones traveling in groups that are all dolled up in their tiny kimonos, because it is important to dress up when you go out with your friends. I've enjoyed spotting them around town and watching my fellow tourists freak out about the chihuahuas dressed as samurai. Okay, I may have been a little overexcited about this as well. But the ever-presence of these four-legged pals has also reminded me, I am not a dog person. And here's why. Reason number one, because if I was going to have a puppy, I might as well have a baby. I say this as someone who has neither owned a dog or birthed a human, but that doesn't mean I'm not right about this. Puppies, like babies, 
have to be raised and taught how to be properly behaved grown-ups. Except, unlike a baby, they never actually grow up. They don't move out of your house, go to college, get a job, take care of you when you're old. They just go from being a disastrous to your home and everything you care about toddler to an overactive kindergartner that still needs you to do almost everything for them. Like children, dogs require a lot of attention. They whine when you don't feed them, and your schedule is totally at the mercy of their eating and pooping itinerary. I already have enough trouble making plans and organizing my life without a dog determining what I can and cannot do. At least when you have a baby, you can just strap it to you and take it anywhere. Bringing a baby into a restaurant, or, let's be honest, a wine bar, isn't a health department offense, though you may get some side-eye. But you can bet you'll be asked to leave if you bring in a dog. And even some outdoor spaces are off limits, like parks and beaches. And if something prevents me from going to the beach, it cannot be in my life. And did you know that people are taking puppy leave now? I've seen multiple instances on Facebook of people taking days off or working from home so that they can house train their new dog. I'm sorry, but my vacation days are for taking vacations not for lessons in bladder control, and this carpet is not your toilet. Then there's the issue of the poop itself and the fact that I have to pick it up every time with my hands. Sure, there's a plastic bag between me and it, but it smells. I can still feel it, and it is still warm. No, if I'm dealing with a living thing's bowel movements, we better be related. And at least diapers do most of the poop catching for you. Also, Dogs are exhausting. I hate mornings, but those animals wake up with the sun, barking and begging to be let outside, taken for a walk, or given food, and they're like awake awake at 7 a.m., whereas I need three more cups of coffee and for my phone to say p.m. before I'm ready to throw a ball even once, let alone one covered in slobber over and over again. I know that having a baby years from now is going to steal all of my energy, and rob me of the glorious 8 to 10 hours of sleep a night to which I become accustomed. So why in the world would I let this be taken from me any earlier? Mama needs her beauty sleep. You may be willing to touch poop all day for the next 15 years or give a tiny dog control over your schedule, vacations, and sleep, but in my life, only a tiny human that I make with my own body gets that kind of power. Reason number two, the licking. Mouths are for talking. Mouths are for eating. Mouths are for making out. Mouths are not for licking your butt and then licking my face. But other people seem perfectly fine with their dog doing this day after day after day. It's gross. And this isn't the case of not knowing where that mouth has been. We all know where it's been. On a butt. On that dead squirrel it caught on an old piece of meat it found in the trash, in your toilet, on another dog's butt. I just can't comprehend why anyone is okay that that mouth is on their face. And it's not like their breath is telling a different story. You're in denial if that halitosis doesn't make you question whether you want that on your skin. Shoo-wee! I hate smells. Which really is another thing I'm only willing to put up with for the small people in my future. Reason number three, the jumping. Why is it that dogs feel the need to jump up and put their paws all over me? 
And why do so many of their owners respond with, aw, he's so happy to see you? Um, no, your animal is trying to claw me to death and tackle me at the same time. I actually had a yappy Bichon owner say to me, oh, I'm sure those will go away in just a few minutes, when I pointed out the red scratch marks covering my shins. And sure, they faded after a few days. Like the disgusting licking, I just don't get why people reward, or at least allow, these upsetting forms of affection. I don't care that these habits come from a place of love. If I showed my excitement for seeing you by putting my feet all over you, would that be acceptable? Maybe that will be my response to the next person who encourages their dog to jump on me. I'll just take my shoes off, stick my toes in their face, and explain that I'm just so happy to see them. Reason number four, the barking. I am very sensitive to loud sounds. So much so that I won't go into a movie theater without a supply of earplugs at the ready. And if I get startled by a loud sound, well, just forget it. My body reacts with instantaneous crying, and it's just not a pretty sight. At this point in our episode that could probably be titled, Signs That Arden Has Easily Irritated, it should come as no surprise that the barking of dogs also upsets me. From the high-pitched yap of a teacup poodle to the deep boom of our gargantuan mastiff, I do not appreciate the sounds dogs make. I'll give them a pass for alerting their human owners to dangers like poisonous snakes or an intruder, but even then, the barking is normally a false alarm, warning me of a menacing garden hose or a threatening UPS guy. And if there's more than one dog around, they'll all join in creating a cacophony that I'd just rather avoid. I could probably go on with more reasons why I'm not a dog person, but at the risk of alienating any more of my listeners, I'll stop here. And I want to be clear that I do not hate dogs. They can be great companions, they can give nice snuggles, and they can provide important assistance to people who need extra help. Not to mention, there is nothing more adorable on the planet then puppies and babies cuddling. Google bulldog puppies and baby and you will not be disappointed. To me, not being a dog person doesn't mean that I dislike dogs. It just means that I'm very particular about the dogs I interact with and how they've been trained. Because really, most of my problems with dogs aren't the fault of the dog, but the fault of their owners. My aunt has had two to three dogs for my entire life, and I've been happy to spend time with all of them. They're loving, well-behaved, never jumping on me, rarely barking, and don't greet me with a slobbery tongue. As a veterinarian, my aunt truly understands the value of training your pets and works hard to make sure her animals have better behavior than most people's children. You might even think I'm a dog person when you see me around a pup named Widget, but that's because Widget is perfect, and his owners get more than a little credit for that. Widget acts like an old man though I think that comes naturally to him, doesn't make any noise and is just happy to fall asleep in your lap or be carried around wherever you need to go. I love Widget, though even people that hate dogs probably love Widget. It's hard not to. Okay, that's it for this week's episode of It's the Wine Talking. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe. And while you're on iTunes, please take a minute to rate and review this podcast so more listeners can discover the show. I think the fact that I didn't use Who Let the Dogs Out as the musical opener for this episode is reason enough to give me five stars. Thanks for listening. Cheers.